0: lesson is certainly a very familiar one. It's the story of doubting Thomas. I suspect that Father Pell uh, has preached about Thomas before on numerous occasions. Uh, but if he hadn't said it in the past, I'm going to suggest to you this morning that Thomas may have gotten a raw deal in church history. But I want to talk a bit more about that in the next few minutes this morning. We have four accounts of Jesus appearing to people right after his resurrection. The first account we heard last Sunday on Easter morning. In the very first part of today's lesson, Jesus tells us, or John tells us that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene in the garden. She didn't recognize him at first. Not until he called her by name. Not until she heard voice. Now, in Luke's Gospel, we have the story about two disciples that Jesus met on the road to Emmaus. Jesus traveled along with the men and explained the Scriptures to them, but they didn't recognize him until they stopped for a meal. And Jesus blessed the food, and they heard his voice, and they recognized him. And the Scripture tells us that they rushed back to the others to tell them what they'd seen and what they'd heard. And then in the second half of this morning's reading, we have two accounts of Jesus appearing to his disciples. Not only on one occasion was Thomas present. When Thomas heard what the others had seen, he said, I won't believe <coughs> until I see for myself. I'm going to have to touch the wounds of his hands and his side. Now, was that an expression of doubt? I'm not sure. Well, was this doubting Thomas? Well, maybe. Well, maybe not. What we read in verse 20 then, it says Jesus appeared to his disciples and said, Peace be with you. Those were the words of Jesus on so many occasions. Words designed to, to put the listener at ease. Then the scripture says that he showed them his hands and his side. Should Thomas have needed to see what the others had already seen? Maybe when the others were describing what had taken place to Thomas, someone said, He, he showed us his scars. They saw them with their own eyes. Maybe that's what's spurred Thomas to say. Unless I see with my own eyes and touch the wounds with my hands, I, I won't believe. What is it we call our, our four senses? Sight. We, we see things with <laughs> our eyes. Hearing, we hear sounds with our ears. Taste, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> touch. We feel things. We don't necessarily use all of our senses at any one time of our senses is important in our ability to recognize and understand what's going on around us. A person who's blind has lost one of his or her senses, and while their other senses may to some extent help compensate for the loss, they'll still never see anything from A person who's born deaf shares that same kind of loss. Children learn early on in their stage of development the importance of tactile skills being able to distinguish things by touch. For example, you don't touch things that are hot. As a youngster, I learned not to stick apart an electrical socket. <laughs> More one of the lessons I learned earlier. We so often take things for granted, though. But our senses are crucial to our ability to recognize and understand our surroundings. Now think with me for a moment. How was Thomas' reaction any different from that from the other disciples? Mary had come to the disciples and told them what she'd seen and heard in the garden. The scripture tells us that at least two of the disciples, Peter and John, ran off to see for themselves. They apparently didn't believe the tomb was empty. We don't call them doubting Peter and doubting John. Jesus came and appeared to the ten disciples. He spoke to them and said, Peace be with you. They heard his voice. They saw him in their midst. He showed them his scars, and I'd be surprised if some of them, if not all of them, didn't come and embrace him and touch him. So was Thomas really asking for anything more than the others he already experienced? experience? Who here this morning hadn't heard somebody telling the story and responded by saying, What? Well, I just have to see that to believe it. Now, you certainly weren't suggesting that the person was lying. It's just that what you were being told was hard to imagine. It was hard to believe. Do you believe that it was easy for the other disciples to accept that Jesus had risen until they actually saw him? If they'd actually believed the reporter Mary, I don't think they'd still been locked up in that room in fear of the Jewish leaders. That's what the scripture says they were doing. I think they been about looking for Jesus. So let's, this morning, give Thomas the benefit of the doubt and look at this occurrence in a different way. Second time that Jesus came to his disciples, he appeared in their midst again. Scripture says that although the doors were shut, he came and stood among them. Now that tells me that one minute they were alone, and the next minute Jesus was in their presence. I don't know about you, but I'd like to see that happen. That's a bit hard to believe, isn't it? He came and stood among them. One moment he wasn't there, and the next moment he was. Now if Jesus were to come today, and stand here at this altar this morning, and you can see him with your own eyes. How many people do you think would believe you when you told them what happened here this morning? What you'd seen? I suspect that'd be a rather short list. But think for a moment. <clears throat> Shouldn't we all be in a position to go and tell others that Jesus was here with us this morning? We may not have seen him with our eyes, but hopefully we've felt his presence here in our midst. Isn't that worth talking about? Let's look at what Jesus had to say to Thomas in his second appearance. Jesus said, see my hands, feel my side. That doesn't really sound like a rebuke to Thomas. It sounds a lot more like someone who understood that we're not alike. Some of us need more in order to understand and believe and Jesus was willing to provide more to one who needed it. We don't know if Thomas actually touched Jesus' wounds or not. What we do know is that he cried out, My Lord, God. That speaks volumes to me. How Thomas came to believe is not nearly as important as when he did. When that belief came, he declared it boldly. There are many who would profess to believe in Jesus, but there's nothing bold about their witness at all. That's one of the things we need to remember. We are each called to come before God's throne boldly and with confidence. Let's go back to that first encounter for a minute. I that old story of Thomas to overshadow what I really believe is more important in our lesson this morning. Jesus comes and he stands among them and he says those familiar words, Peace be with you. Now this is more than just a mere greeting. Jesus is appearing to Peter, who had denied Jesus not once, but three times. And the others who had fled from the garden fear, just as he said they would. And the first words that Jesus speaks are the words of reconciliation and forgiveness. They needed to know that they were forgiven before there could be any fellowship. And Jesus offered that forgiveness right up front with no delay. He said, peace be with you. It's like he said, it's okay, guys. It's all okay. Peace be with you. You know, he could have said something like, we need to talk about the other guy in (laughs) the garden. Where'd you all flee to? I wish you'd stuck around for some support. Peter, you stuck around, but it wasn't for support. You denied me three times. I thought you were going to stick by me. You said you would. There's a lot of things that Jesus could have said, but he didn't. You and I need to seek and accept God's forgiveness for all the times and ways that we continually deny him. And for those times when we run away from opportunities to witness to our faith, I suspect that each of the disciples had repeatedly asked for God's forgiveness in those hours following the events of the previous days. And the first thing that Jesus did when he came was to assure them that they had God's forgiveness. That's the first thing I want us to see this morning. When we ask for God's forgiveness, he's ready and willing to give us that forgiveness. The second thing I want us to see this morning is found in verse 21. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, what? So I send you. In the garden heard Jesus telling Mary to go and tell. She was to go and tell others what she had seen and heard. And today, Jesus is saying the same thing to his apostles. And we tend to use those words, disciples and apostles, interchangeably as often as not. And we need to be reminded that Jesus had many disciples. A disciple is one who follows, one who comes and learns at the feet of a teacher. An an apostle is one who has been sent out with a task. We use the words interchangeably for the twelve because they're both (coughs) men who learned at Jesus' feet and were sent out with a task, with a mission. But it's also important to see and understand that before you can become an apostle, before one can be sent out with a task, they first have to have been a disciple. They have to have spent time learning from Jesus. That's what we're do on Sunday morning after coffee hour. Tuesday morning in our Bible study, we're attempting to learn more about what God has in store for each of us. How can you share the gospel story if you don't know the gospel story? How can you profess to be a disciple if you're not taking time to study His Word? Now, well, while there were many disciples of Jesus, and there were only the twelve apostles in the we get Luke's account. His writing was called the Acts of the Apostles. It's an account of the events of the life of the early Christian church led by the twelve apostles, Paul, who also considered himself an apostle of Jesus because he had been called and sent out by Jesus with a mission. We were looking at Acts 8 here recently, and I'm thinking about when we finish our current study to look at that one chapter in Acts, development, the spread of the early church.
1: Jesus comes to his disciples and he said,
0: receive the Holy Spirit. And he gave the church its mission. Jesus said, you're to continue to do the things that I've been doing. And what was that? They were to go out and preach and teach the good news. And they were going to be able to accomplish that mission, not on their own, but because of the help of the Holy Spirit. The church does not testify to God by its own power or ability but solely through the help of the Holy Spirit, we never will forget that. That's why we always need to be looking to God for our leadership before we step out and act. No matter how boldly we might be prepared to act, we need to know that our boldness comes from God, not from our own self-assuredness. Now let's go back and look at the end of Jesus' conversation with Thomas for a moment. In verse 29, he said to Thomas, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me, yet have come to believe. Jesus was talking about you and me here. Certainly, we haven't had the the opportunity to see Jesus. No one has for 2,000 years. But Jesus was saying to his apostles, Blessed are all those who, not having seen me with their own eyes, would believe because of the ministry and the apostolic witness of the church and our people. And just how are we blessed? And that's exactly what we see in 1 John. You know, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. How does he say that we win that victory and conquer the world through our faith? The disciples had their senses to help them see and hear and feel the presence of Jesus. But you and I have to accept him by faith. And that ain't always easy. Brother 1 John also said that faith has two characteristics. First. It confesses that Jesus was born in the flesh, born of a woman, crucified on the cross for the sins of the world, and risen to new life. Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. That's the first thing that our faith requires. We're called to believe that Jesus is the crucified and risen Son of God. That's the message of this Easter season. And The second characteristic is that our faith manifests itself in our loving actions toward our fellow Christians. And again, John said, everyone who loves the parent loves the child and the children of God. That's us. In the 14th chapter of John's Gospel, he says the same thing in a different way. He says, to love God means to love his commandments. And his commandment is that we love one another. John is saying the faith that believes the whole story, human and divine, about Jesus Christ, and that obeys the commandment to love. That person is equipped to overcome the world. No obstacle, no opposition will be able to prevent their victory. That was true of the apostles. It was true of the early church. And I believe it's still true even in the church today. God's will for His church will ultimately come to pass in spite of the actions of His church. That's what Peter said to the religious leaders in our reading from Acts this morning. Peter stood before the high priest and said, we must obey God rather than him, any human authority the high priest had told Peter and the others that they worked to teach in Jesus name and yet that's exactly what they've begun to do right there in Jerusalem following the days of Pentecost that's what apostles do that's what the church is called to do to preach and teach boldly in Jesus name you and I are called by God to boldly profess our faith First time and because he didn't see the risen Lord for himself, he only heard the others. He didn't see, therefore, he couldn't believe. And that's what he said. I've got to see, I've got to touch him. I have to use all my senses if I'm believe. And when Jesus came the second time, he said to Thomas, Here I am, touch me. Jesus wasn't rebuking Thomas for his doubts. I think he was giving him the proof that he needed. Jesus didn't question Thomas' faith out of love, he gave Thomas the tangible proof that he needed to believe. And I'm grateful for tangible proof. There are those here who, who hear the Bible stories, they hear, they believe, but, but there are others who need more. They need to touch. For those people, the good news is that God gives them what they need. He told touch the person next to you. We have the Eucharist where we can come and partake in the body and blood of Christ. I know it's a a holy mystery, but the sacraments can give us those tangible reassurances that we need to go into a world that seems to be turned upside down. God meets us in the bread and the wine, and we know that he's with us. We come to the table with all our doubts, our questions, our hesitations, and here we taste and touch and see, and we can believe once again. And just as Jesus ministered to Thomas, Jesus ministers to you and me. The last thing I want us to see this morning is that after Jesus' resurrection, he didn't stroll back into Jerusalem. He didn't return to the temple steps. He didn't go visit Pilate. I'm not sure I would have done all those things. I've been called a kind of in face guy before. I'm sure that was not so Jesus went and appeared to that ragtag bag of men that had deserted him. He returned to the very men who had fled in fear when he was arrested. <clears throat> On that first Easter morning, nobody actually saw Jesus rise from the grave. They also went afterwards. And they didn't appear to him. He appeared to them. We need to remember that. The proof of the resurrection is not the absence of Jesus' body in the tomb. It's the presence of Jesus to his followers. The risen Christ became present to us. The result of the resurrection of Christ is his church. And our claim to fame, if you would, is that Jesus rose from the dead and came back to us. That's what we see in this morning's gospel lesson. We see Jesus' followers hunkered down alone behind locked doors when the risen Lord comes to them. They're full of fear and doubt. They hadn't gone looking for him. He came seeking them. And this is the dynamic that's at the very heart of the Easter experience. I grew up in churches that have altar calls every time the door was open. And many of those hymns that we used to sing expressed an invitation for people to come and find Jesus. Come and accept God's love. Come and be saved. And while I still love all those old hymns, the words are really misleading You see, we don't come to Jesus. because Jesus had already come to us. All he is asking is that we acknowledge that he's here. That he died in our place out of love. That he rose from the dead. And came came seeking us. We worship a God this morning that's like the shepherd with the lost sheep. He didn't sit there at the sheep pen waiting for that lost sheep to return home. Our, Our God is a God who goes out and risks everything. He goes out and peeps the bushes. He goes out and stays out. He finds the one that's lost. We worship a God who's like the Father who isn't willing to merely fold his arms and sit back and wait for that wayward son to come to his senses and come home. Our God's a heavenly Father who leaves heaven and reaches down into the mire of a sinful world in order to rescue a prodigal son so that he might return to the Father forever. After the betrayal, After the torture, after the pain, after the blood, after the crucifixion, he came back. He came back to us so that when you and I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we can look up and know that we're not alone. We're not making that walk by ourselves. When we come to some dead end in our life and we look over the edge of the abyss to our surprise and delight, we find that he's there waiting. At those moments when we want to give up, When we seem to be overcome with despair, we can look up and know that he's near. Jesus came to his disciples in the locked room 2,000 years ago, and he's still coming to those who would follow him still today. That's what a risen Savior does. He comes back again and again and again to the very ones who betrayed and disappointed him. He seeks us out. He finds us. He embraces us. He holds us in life and in death. Beyond death, this is our hope. Our faith rests upon an experience, upon countless experiences of Christ's presence among us. Last Sunday, we celebrated His resurrection. This morning, may we revel in the fact that the risen Lord came back to each.